Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. We have a lot of exciting, interesting material for you on the episode tonight. Thank you for listening to the Radio Lighthouse. Thank you for tuning in on this Tuesday evening for That's Truth. And sitting across the desk from me, I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. And if you are listening, we are thankful for you listening, and let me encourage you to encourage others to tune in, whether they're in Antigua, whether they're on the same island as you, maybe they're even in the States or somewhere else around the world, they can listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program, they can also join us on Facebook. If they go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and they can join us. You can see behind the scenes what goes on during this program, and you can comment your question or your thought, or maybe a proposed topic for a future episode of That's Truth, and it'll all get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner. Now, Pastor, before we get to the topic uh, for tonight, we have a question that came in from a listener in Barbados, came in via WhatsApp on Saturday as a result of the rebroadcast of the program. Thank you to the individual who sent that in. Thank you for listening in Barbados. And their message says, Greetings from Barbados. Someone recently sent me these videos, and I would like to know your views on the content of the videos. And we don't have time to play in their entirety all three videos. In fact, I've got excerpts of the first video, which sum up the general teachings of the other two videos. So I'm going to play those for you. Again, these are not teachings that we here at the Radio Lighthouse support, but these are examples of the audio from the videos that were sent, and then Pastor will give a biblical worldview perspective. So I've got a couple minutes of uh, audio clips from these videos. And you think it's a true religion? I mention this so that you can see that Christianity is a religion based on falsehood, and they couldn't care less. It is Christianized paganism. That's what it is. The history books tell us that Christian missionaries couldn't convert the pagans. So they Christianize their customs, which is all based on falsehood. It is not based on truth. And there is no better example of this than the Christian preachers, when preachers, preachers would quote um, this scripture from Acts 4 verse 12. In Acts 4 verse 12 is a very significant scripture. And they would read it. And it, would, it says, There is no other name 
under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And when they read that scripture, they tell you that this name is Jesus Christ, which is a completely made up name. I mean, <laughs> it is completely bogus. I can't think of anything that is more ridiculous than this, my friends. In fact, only 500 years ago, nobody used or knew the name Jesus. Now, again, you're listening to the Radio Lighthouse. Those are not teachings that we support, but this is just some samples of a video clip that a listener is requesting Pastor Murphy to comment on. I've got one more segment that I want to share with you to give you the context, and then Pastor is going to give a biblical worldview answer to this situation and to this false teacher. Uh, this clip... Uh, we'll start out right here. Okay. <clears throat> All right, we're going to go um, to the second volume, or what is properly called the New Testament. And um, this is the book of St. Matthew. And let's try to find somewhere where the word Jesus <clears throat> would have been mentioned. Okay, right here. In Matthew chapter not, chapter 14, it says right here, At the time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Isus. Notice that. Isus. Not Jesus, but Isus. I want, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make the point here that the letter J was something that most people didn't even know. All right, Pastor. I think we've had enough of that false teaching. Let's hear from a biblical worldview now that we have a concept that he's saying that Jesus is not the name we should be using and that the letter J is something recent, a recent phenomenon. Look, I, I tried to listen to uh, the tapes. Uh, I tried to listen to the I listened to the first one. Um, quite frankly, I found it to be very irritating. I found that um, he's a guy that seemed to um, um, strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. It's a storm in a teapot. He basically um, is trying to emphasize the name Yahweh and. Um, if the if it had played the first video a little bit more, they would have seen that this is a whole uh, movement called the Yahweh Church, the House of Yahweh, uh, and the whole emphasis here really is to promote the name Yahweh, and that if you don't know the correct name Yahweh, you can't get into the kingdom, etc., etc. I did some research on it, and uh, I want to share a few things, and then I'll, I'll address the, the matters he mentioned. Uh, this group, the House of Yahweh, actually was started by a guy called. J.G. Uh, Hawkins, and uh, the location of the group is in Eula, uh, Texas, and it was established in 1980. Uh, Hawkins went to Israel, uh, I think in 1978, and uh, learned about the word Yahweh and came back and uh, so felt that that was the only name of God that could be used, and so he came back to America and he started this movement called the Yahweh Movement. Um, they make some real outlandish claims. For example, they believe that they're the only exclusive 
group of the saints today and that God has raised them up in the last time to bring people back to the truth because the truth has been lost and they're now going to recover the truth. Uh, if you study a little bit more about their writings and their teachings, it's a lot quite similar to Herbert W. Armstrong. As a matter of fact, uh, they are an offshoot of the Herbert W. Armstrong, the World Tomorrow program. Armstrong is dead. His, um, his group is still there, but... Um, it's a movement that's a dying movement, basically, and some of them have even changed back and come back to strict orthodoxy. But um, they uh, put a lot of emphasis on the Old Testament, and you have to observe all the feasts of the Old Testament. They keep the Sabbath. You've got to keep the Sabbath. Um, they have some real strange doctrines. Uh, they don't believe in the Trinity. The Trinity is, is pagan. Uh, you'll find that he talks a lot about Jesus and the, uh, the name of Jesus, but um, when you begin to ask what Jesus is talking about, this Jesus is not the Son of God. He's not the um, He's not deity. He's not God Himself. He's He's a being that God created. Uh, this is the Jesus that they're talking about. Uh, they also believe in strict adherence to the Torah, and that it's the 613 laws observing the Torah. That actually, that's how you obey God, and that's how you get saved. Wow. Uh, you know, and then the, the other thing is that they um, believe that uh, God's wife was Lucifer, and he became uh, the devil after he rebelled against God. Wow! Very weird, 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 weird teaching. Uh, the founder again uh, said in, in October fourteenth, two thousand, that Jesus would return and there'd be a global um, nuclear war. Well, of course, we are in two thousand twenty. But then after it had failed to come to pass, he then stated in 2008, on June 18th, that Jesus was going to come again, and that you have this nuclear war again, we're living in 2020. He also claimed that he and his brother um, were the two witnesses that Revelations 11 talked about. The problem is his brother died in 1991, so <laughs> you know it's really, really uh, very, very troubling when you read the, the history and what the guy teaches, and then to hear this guy uh, bigging up this, this movement, although they found a part of gold or they discover um, maybe the lost city of Atlantis, or they've been able to decipher the Trinity or something. But uh, this is strictly a, a cult. It's a cult in, in several different ways. Number one, they're building everything around a particular name, and they're claiming uh, exclusive um, domain in terms of biblical Christianity, that they're the only way, only answer. It's just like the Mormons or the JW uh, is quite similar to that. The other thing is that in order to facilitate what they're teaching, they've come up with their own translation. Now, the guy has no background in, in Bible translation. He has no background in Bible history. Uh, in their translation, he adds and he deletes whatever they chooses choose in order to to, um, to foster this doctrine and this teaching. So it's very, very, very uh, disturbing that um, a movement like this can gain ground in a country like America and now it's being uh, disseminated in the different parts of the world using the media like it's used in here today. But uh, let me just say a few things about, about what he said there. Um, by the way, I listened to the tape Nathan, and he makes some very, very outlandish statements. For example, he says that um, you shouldn't call Yahweh God because uh, God is really uh, an insult to call Yahweh God. 
and it's not God that created the world. Um, it is Yahweh that created the world. Well, again, the ignorance of that is, is, is so abysmal that it's not even worth responding to because the word there in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, the word is Elohim. It's not the word Yahweh, okay? So I, I, just, I just can't figure out what he's saying. The other thing is that he makes a big argument about the name uh, Jesus, which is the Greek name for, for, for Jesus, and the fact that uh, his right name is not Jesus. But again, uh, my name in English is David. If I went to Israel, David, okay? But somebody called me David in, uh, in, in, in uh, Israel. It's still, I understand that's my name. So I'm not sure what the big point is. You mentioned that your name is Nathan, and in, in uh, what you told me? In, in French, I believe it's Nathan. Nathan, yeah. But somebody called you Nathan in, in France, it doesn't mean that you're the calling a different person. Right. The fact is that take the word Yahweh that they make this whole big thing about. Not one New Testament writer uses the word Yahweh in any of the New Testament books. So that completely obliterates his argument altogether because uh, with the exception of probably Matthew and the book of Hebrews, uh, it's believed that those books were written in Hebrew because they're written to the Jews. All the other New Testament books were written in Greek. So uh, if Paul wanted to, if Yahweh was such an important term, Certainly in Paul's writings, you would have reference to Yahweh. And the word that is used in the Greek language is the word theos, which is the word God, and the word um, um, for Lord, kurios, which is Lord. The word Adonai is the word Lord in the Old Testament. In the New Testament is kurios. The, the word um, Elohim in the New Old Testament in the New Testament is the word theos, the Greek word. So I, I am not too sure of anybody that we, would apply common sense and reasoning. Uh, to what he's saying, what he's saying makes absolutely no no sense. Um, so I'm not do. Uh, I would say to the person who sent the video, I appreciate you sending the video, but if you doubt what I'm saying, I would suggest that you do a little bit of investigation online and probably Google House of um, Yahweh, and there are some very good websites that would help you to get an understanding of what the doctrine is teaching, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there are some good fundamental, uh, good Bible response to this uh, particular cult. But um, to my mind, it is something that is not even, as I said, I try to listen to the video because I want to know what people are teaching. But after I listened to uh, the first video, my ears were so irritated by what he's saying. And to my mind, he's making such a big point about a word. I couldn't figure out what, well, okay, you, you're making a point about Jesus, but the Jesus you're talking about is not the Jesus of the Bible because your Jesus is not God. He's not this, uh, God the Son. So you, you make all this rigmarole about the, the term Jesus and how it should be pronounced. But yet the, the, the content behind the word, which is the big thing, you've completely missed. Mm -hmm. So I find that um, it's strange doctrine, but not something that we should entertain. And uh, I will do a little bit more investigating. I also discovered, Nathan, there's another group called the Assemblies of Yahweh. Is that the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. It, this one was started by a guy called Jacob Omeyer, and it was started in 1969. The funny thing about it is that they hold a lot of the same beliefs. They don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, they also believe in keeping all the festivals in the Old Testament, the, the, the tabernacle, the Feast of First Fruits. All of these are supposed to be observed. Uh, similarly, they also hold a lot of the same teaching of Herbert W. Armstrong. They all reject uh, the Trinity, etc. So, um, and they all keep the Sabbath uh, as the day of the Lord. So, I am not just sure if this is an off branch of that one. Because this one was started in 1980, the other one was started in 1969. It could be that this is a, a branch of that particular teaching. Uh, I will do a little bit more research on it, but 
um, I would just say to the person who sent in the thing, thanks for it, but it's really, it's not worth spending your time listening to that because it's, it's quite contrary to what, what, what uh, the Bible teaches on these matters. Thank you to the individual who sent that in, and yet it gives all of us the basis for being able to answer from Scripture uh, and kind of a little bit of overview so that if we're in a grocery store line and someone says, hey, are you a Christian? What do you think about this? Uh, we're able to answer. So thank you very much for listening from Barbados. Thank you for sending that in. Let me add two quick other things. Uh, this guy also should have mentioned that he's trying to justify polygamy as well. Really? Yeah, and he's in some legal trouble. Uh, the guy that started, he has, has an investigation going on in respect to his sexual misconduct and also about child labor because they've got a farm and they've used children to to run, uh, kind of do work on the farm. And also they, they investigate about this this the practice of polygamy. So that gives you a, a pretty much idea of what, what really this thing is all about. It, it's a cultic movement, and I uh, wanted to be aware of it. You're listening to That's Truth, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. For this program, you can also join us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can watch behind the scenes, and you can comment your question under the video. If you have a question, go ahead and give us a call at one 462 7420 or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text, you can send it to one 1454 Yeah, what I want to say, because this is probably going to come up again and again, because there is the, I know the Yahweh Church is already in the Caribbean. When I was in um, St. Lucia as a pastor, uh, they used to have the, set up their tents during the time of the tabernacle. Okay. And they would sleep in tents, and they would convey water. They'll, they'll, they'll do, they, like, they, they tent out, uh, basically, uh, doing their own food and getting their own water. But this was an annual event that happens. It's just that the Israelites would use, sleep in tents. They would sleep in tents because everything that all those uh, fest, uh, festivities and all those feasts that Israel had, this group follows. But I, I want you to look at um, um, two, three verses of Scripture because... This Yahweh thing is going to become big, just that the JW believe that the only name is Jehovah. Okay. This is going to become big. If you look at Exodus um, 6.3, you'll see that God calls himself by another name other than just Yahweh. God is speaking. Uh, and then I want you to look at Ezekiel and then um, Exodus 6.3. Exodus 6.3 says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac. God is speaking, okay. I appeared. Oh, go ahead. Okay. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. That's the word Yahweh. The word Jehovah is the same word as Yahweh. It's just that uh, you're using the English uh, consonants as opposed to the Hebrew consonants, okay? But the same word that translated uh, Jehovah is the word Yahweh. But notice that I appeared to Abraham as God Almighty. You know what that was? El Shaddai. Oh. That's how I appeared as El Shaddai. So the, El Shaddai is the same as Yahweh. But I did not reveal my name, um, um, Yahweh, uh, to them, right? Because Yahweh is a covenant name. Uh, it's interesting. Also, look at uh, Ezekiel 34, 31. Ezekiel 34, 31. So you're saying you can't discount other names of God. My point is that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are books that you can get online on the names of God. 
that will trace all the different names and they'll explain to you why that particular name was used because normally a use is using, name is used in connection with some circumstance where God displays himself either as a provider or displayed power or might or he goes into covenant. It all depends on what particular name. Ezekiel thirty four thirty one says, And ye my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. Now this is Ezekiel quoting what God says, right? And notice is I, I am God. The word there, God, is the word Elohim. See? I am your Elohim. This is this is Jehovah, this is Yahweh saying that I am Elohim. That's the point they're making, that the, the God of Israel, the same God that he's referring to, the God of Yahweh, he's saying in this passage that I am your God, I am your Elohim. So uh, he's making a point that really is totally illogical in what he's saying. And I just want to say that, because. and then if you go to, don't turn there, but if you go to Psalm 91, verse 1 to 2, you'll find that four different names are used of God by David. Maybe, let's look at it, Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 uh-huh. says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Four different words. Most High, Almighty, Lord, and God. All of them are four different words. And the word, last word there, God, is Elohim. See? Uh so I am, and here is David speaking. Is he calling then, is, is David a pagan then because he uses another name of God other than the word Yahweh? Uh, so when you get a person making these kind of silly arguments, um, it seems as though reason has left its, 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 its throne and um, ignorance rules on it. But I'm not too sure why a person could make this kind of ridiculous argument and have an audience. I just thought I'd just draw your attention to let you know the different names of God. And uh, David called them four different names. God himself uses the word Elohim to describe himself. You also use the word El Shaddai. Uh, so there's more than one name for God. That's good, good verses to keep in mind and a good approach to answer anyone who may be involved with that movement or that cult. Uh, Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Anguilla. Two scriptures were brought to my attention a few days ago. Can you please explain? In John 3.16, who is the whosoever? Whosoever is whosoever. <laughs> I'll tell you why that has probably come up, because the Calvinists, especially the Reformed Church, uh, try to redefine terms. Uh, and they, they try to believe that Christ only died for the elect, and that's why they have problems with the whosoever. Um, I had a problem once when I had a, a person sent me a book called Journey in Grace. I'll never forget it. I had a, a good Christian pastor friend of mine in, in the States, and he sent me this book, Journey in Grace. I started reading it. And uh, by the time I finished reading the book, uh, from what he was saying, uh, these words had to be selectively interpreted. And uh, I began to realize when I was preaching, for the first time in my preaching, I was hesitating, saying, whosoever. And that bothered me greatly. And uh, because he was almost convinced me that... Um, the world didn't mean the world. Whosoever didn't mean the world, whosoever, it meant something else. And the reason for that is because he imposed on Scripture his presuppositions about the tulip, which is the Calvinist doctrine. So he he brought that to bear on Scripture, and he used that as a sieve. So everything that did not um, fall in line with that doctrine, it was reinterpreted to fit that particular doctrine because he only believed that Christ died for elect. 
But uh, if you read the Bible, e- even Calvin, by the way, at the end of his life, admitted that in John uh, that Christ did die for the whole world. So uh, the reason why that becomes a problem is because this is a Calvinist or Reformist doctrine that Christ only died for elect, and therefore whosoever cannot mean whosoever. But if you read the book of the um, uh, last book of the Bible, um, Revelation chapter 22, I think it's coming to the end, uh, John says, And he that heareth say come, and he that despise say come, and whosoever let them come. Whosoever means whosoever. We must not impose on Scripture our uh, presuppositions in respect to our biblical position or theology and try to stretch Scripture to fit with our theology. Uh, there are times when it would seem, to, to, when you look at a passage, that uh, he talks about elect, but there are also times when he talks about the world and whosoever. How we uh, are able to make these two things mesh, we're not sure we can make them mesh, but we must preach what the Word preaches and not try to twist Scripture to fit in with our theology when it rubs us against what, we te- what, what our theology is. So whosoever means whosoever, sir. And then also the second part of their question is, Jeremiah 10, 1 through 5, can you please explain? And I'll read those. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 5 says, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Lean not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. The deck, they deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers. They move it not. And verse 5 says, They are upright as a palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it to them to do good. Well, clearly the prophet is mocking the idolaters who are uh, fear because of the things they see in the heavens. Maybe they're looking at signs in heaven, maybe looking at the stars. And then he's mocking the idea of people taking an object and turning it into an idol and uh, worshiping it and fearing it. And uh, Jeremiah is speaking very, very sarcastically there. And he's just in a, a way, I would say, is almost like... Um, uh, it's, it's a kind of a mocking tone. It's, it's almost like Elijah telling the um, the the uh, prophets of Baal. Well, maybe Baal is sleeping, or maybe you need to wake him up. He's on a journey. Uh, it is sarcasm. But what he's saying here is that there's no need for God's people to to fear the elements or the the gods of the sky or the idols that people make. Um, these really they don't have any life. Uh, they can't do anything. You're supposed to fear God and not be influenced by these, whether it be the stars or influenced by these idols. And Pastor, a follow-up comment from the listener in Barbados who sent in the videos. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, a relative of mine has gotten taken over with this. I was teaching of it last year, but I am careful of who counsels me, but she is taken over by it. Thank you so much for your information. Yeah. So thank you for that follow-up. Thank you again for listening from Barbados, and thank you for the listener who sent in a question from Anguilla. If you have a question, you can send it in via WhatsApp or text to the following number, one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. If you'd rather call and be put live on the air, the phone line is available, and you can call one two six eight four six two seven four. Now, we are going to pick up where we left off with the topic from last week, 
and that topic is the Word of Faith movement. Last week, uh, Pastor, you rehashed the history of the movement, some of the historical figures and organizations associated with the Word of Faith movement. You spent a lot of the program talking about the core doctrines and specifically about positive confession and negative confession. Let's pick up tonight with what do they mean by the seed of faith principle? And you mentioned that a couple times last yeah, week. Yeah, I, I think it's basically the idea that they take the scriptures and they use the the passive scripture have to do with sowing seeds and getting a, a rich harvest, and then they apply that to f- financial gain. So uh, they ripped it out of its context, and then applying it to that sowing the seed really has to do with you get, sending them money, and if you send them a thousand dollars, you'll get more than a thousand dollars. You send them fifty dollars, you might get five or six times that. The whole idea really is to rip you off. And the, the 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 thing about it is that people are so gullible because they're all so mercenary and so greedy. They want something for nothing. And they always get ripped off by these guys by making all these kind of bogus promises. That if you send me $1,000, uh, you, you sow a seed of $1,000, the Lord will give you back more than, you know, uh, pressed down, overflowing, et cetera, et cetera. That's the term that they use. It's just a, a, a commercial ploy. It, it's it's a, almost like an advertising ploy, and they're using Scripture to, to, to mislead you. But because those Scriptures really have nothing to do with you sending anybody any money, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it's just the idea of um, exploiting people by using biblical verses uh, to, to kind of milk them out of their money, out of their income. The funny thing about it, Nathan, is that I can't believe that people are so gullible. I tell people this all the time. Before I was a Christian, none of these guys could actually put this off on me. I could see right through it. But we're living in an age where there's no discernment, and people just follow anything that's being said. And um, it's terrible the state we're in. But because we're biblically illiterate, we don't know the Bible, we don't study the Bible, even in our schools, by the way. When I was a boy, there was something called religious education. As a matter of fact, one of the the, uh, O-level subjects I did with London was religious education. We had to do the Book of Acts. We had to do the Gospels. Wow! Literally, I mean, it was, and it was not, it was not any um, s- simple little stuff either. Uh, I still got the book I used to do the exam on the Book of Acts. It's a fairly thorough book. But today, uh, you got more uh, the idea of um, pluralism within the school. And you're more studying the rituals of the different groups, the Muslim group, the 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 the, the Hindu group, the Catholic group, the, the whole thing basically. It's not really studying the the real uh, Bible and studying the uh, scriptures. It's it's more comparative religion that is being taught in the school today. As you were talking about the sow the seed principle, my mind went back to a sermon I heard on one of the religious stations here in Antigua, not the Radio Lighthouse, by T.D. Jakes. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was toward the end of the calendar year. And he was talking about, God is telling you that you need to have a good, prosperous year next year. And the way to do that is for you to sow a seed and send money, invest money in this ministry. And he's using Jeremiah when he was in the pit and he had money to buy a field. And he said, we don't know where Jeremiah had that money. And it was probably some deep savings that he had. And you need to go into your deep savings and sow a seed for a prosperous next year. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And the other thing is these guys are filthy rich. Uh, If you see their homes, if you see their cars... Uh, I, look, I I cannot in my for one moment conceive of a pastor or any any man of God uh, living that kind of an exorbitant uh, lifestyle. 
we're dealing with people in our churches that can barely survive, and yet we want to live such lavish lives as so much higher above the people. We want we want the best car, the best house. The, the, to my mind, that is totally, totally unethical, totally, totally wrong, and uh, I think it portrays the wrong picture. But yeah, T.G. Jakes and a lot of these other guys, um, they're just milking the people, and but he's a good speaker. Uh, he's a very dynamic type of yeah. person, uh, his personality, et cetera, et cetera. And you notice that a lot of these preachers are what I call narrative preachers. They're not didactic preachers. If you notice that, they like to tell stories. And they, they exa- uh, exaggerate on these stories and expand on these stories. And they put in a few uh, nice sayings here and there, and they get the people laughing and the people keeping noise, et cetera. But when it's all over and you look at the substance of it, you wonder what did they really say of any real substance. But that's the problem. Uh, he's a typical example, but he's not the only example. The, the whole TBN uh, group basically uh, all uh, fall in substantially the same kind of um, bag of, of, of people teaching the same thing. But uh, it's a deception, and I hope the people awake to this matter and don't be misled uh, by this teaching. Pastor, would it be safe to say that we're fairly confident that Satan is behind this deception in order to, at the very least, put true Christianity in a bad light and turn people off? I don't doubt that one bit. I mean, if the the adversary, uh, there's an adversary, and remember that his whole job is to undermine credibility in God and to undermine the true truth. And, uh, you know, when people uh, see this kind of stuff going on on television, uh, they always throw it at you, by the way. Even myself, when I'm going witnessing, uh, they always draw these things to my attention, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they always put everybody in the same basket. So because one person is doing it, it means that everybody is doing it. So we become uh, tarnished uh, by this kind of behavior and this kind of mercenary uh, preaching and teaching, and it affects all of us. But in, in, in the end, it undermines Christianity, it devalues the cross, and it, it makes people uh, uh, have a, a negative view of Christ and the Christian faith. It, in the long term, is very, very detrimental. So as a born-again Christian, what can I do to counteract uh, that? I know that there's a whole. they have a big platform, they have TBN, but how can I counteract that false teaching? My, my answer is very, very simple. We've got to get back to the book, which is the Word of God. The only safeguard against the deception that's going on is to get back to the book and I would also add to that, find a church that it falls in line with Scripture and uh, get your, get under somebody who's expounding the Word and preaching the Word and teaching the Word, not telling stories to, to tickle your ears and to get you excited and to scream and to shout and to dance and to run up and down the aisle, uh, but that your, your soul is being fed, your heart is being uh, met, uh, needs are being met as well. But the important thing is that the truth that is being taught. And, uh, and, and look... What I'm finding, Nathan, today is that people don't like to think. They want so much to think for them. And that's why they're not uh, inclined to sit under solid expository preaching. They want something that is charismatic. They want something that's exciting. They want something that will cause them to, to shout and to scream. But they don't look at the substance of what is being taught. But I would say get back to the Word. Um, of course, you've got to add prayer to that. But find a good, solid, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church uh, that you can be part of, and uh, you can also get yourself involved and use your gifts and your talents for the glory of God, the expansion of His kingdom. 
Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.06. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Montserrat. Thank you to the individual who sent it in. And this is referencing your discussion earlier about the names of God. It says, Good night, brothers of faith. Is it God the Father who's carrying these names or God the Son who's carrying these names? Well, again, if you go into the Old Testament and you compare some of the names, uh, for example, you'll find that the, some of the names apply to God the Father in the Old Testament it's also apply to, to Jesus in the New Testament. Um, for example, uh, Yahweh said, they look upon me whom they have pierced in the Old Testament. We discover that Jesus is the one that is pierced, right? Uh, so it, it, it depends. Uh, you just, just got to do your own study, and you got to relate the two. But some of them are certainly referring to Christ in his pre-incarnate state, what you call theophanies, when he when he uh, appeared in different uh, shapes and forms. Because he came as an angel of the Lord in certain parts of the Old Testament. He comes as the captain of the Lord's army in the book of Joshua. Uh, he wrestles with um, Jacob, etc., etc. So it all depends on the the the, the, the uh, who you do. But in, in most cases. Where you have um, uh, man in contact with God in the Old Testament is normally uh, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ, because he carries the name Jehovah as well. For example, Jehovah calls himself the first and last in the Old Testament. We come to the New Testament, Christ calls himself the first and last. So there's an interchange because you're dealing with the Godhead, you're dealing with the, the, the Trinity. You find also <coughs> that, that um, we're told that God um, created. We discover that Jesus created uh, the Son, created, and then we also discover the Psalms that the Spirit created. So all are involved in this whole process. Thank you for that question, uh, Pastor. Back to the Word of Faith movement. Uh, they have a phrase where they say "name it and claim it" or a teaching. Can you expound on that? Yeah, nothing that needed to be thoroughly ex- expounded because it, it's, it's just the same kind of concept of the positive confession. It's just that. Um, you want something, and uh, you uh, you claim that you want it. You try to visualize it, that you have it already, and then you find some biblical basis for you getting it. Like the Lord says, knock and shall be opened, seek you shall find, um, etc. So you claim that particular verse in connection with what you want. And um, what happens in the process, the result, you, because you can connect it that way, um, and you have the faith, uh, you can claim it because it's going to come to pass because faith has power and God is a servant of faith. So if you have that faith, you can now command God to give you exactly what you want. So it's called name it and claim it, basically, but it's the same thing, positive confession. But the idea is that you must have faith words and it's your faith that moves the laws of the universe and uh, God has to respond to your faith and give you what you want. Uh, so that's basically what it is. So you can name it and you can claim it and it becomes yours, but you have to exercise faith and use faith words uh, to, to to move God. God is like a bellboy these days. Uh, they, they've actually deified man and made man so powerful that God is almost at the mercy uh, of these people. And God has to follow the same laws, but the, you, the, the key to the unlocking the laws of the universe is to understand the power of faith and the words of faith. So once you understand that faith words have power, you can now actually get anything from God because he has to follow the same laws. As a matter of fact, God is a faith creature as well. He depends on faith like you depend on faith. 
That's in essence what it is teaching. It is heresy at the highest level, but disguised in the form of religion. And people are falling for it. And it's a, it, I can't understand the deception, but I believe it's part of the apostasy that the Bible talks about, the doctrine of demons. I think really it's already infiltrated in the church. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the program called That's Truth. The voice that you hear teaching is that of Pastor Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church here in Antigua. And we are talking specifically about the Word of Faith movement and how it compares to Scripture. Now, Pastor, I'm holding in my hand the Bible, and that's the basis of this program, the basis of the Christian life. What does the Bible teach on a particular topic or the principles that we can apply to a particular topic? If the Bible is the basis of our Christian life, let's spend some time comparing what they teach and see what passages they are abusing and misusing in their movement. Good. Let, let's, let's look at uh, 3 John, verse 2. All right, I am ready. Just one chapter. 3 John, chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. I know exactly where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> no, they take that verse, and they use that verse as a blanket verse that covers both health and prosperity. So you should be healthy and you should be prosperous. But again, if you look at the, the letter, this is a letter, the former of a letter. Uh, he's greeting his audience and he's using the standard greeting of antiquity. This is how people greeted each other. It's like you, dear John, uh, I wish you uh, in good health. That's the kind of thing that John is writing. He's not offering a blanket promise that you're going to have prosperity and you're going to have health and wealth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So just like we say, I hope you, everything goes. That's that's is a format. It's a standard format in the uh, ancient world that he is using here. But they take that out of context, and then, uh, as I said, you could teach anything out of context. You know, go down and do likewise, go and kill yourself, right? <laughs> if if you do. But again, if that's why it's so important, Nathan, when you're studying the Bible, to look at the context of the passage, to have background into the author, the writer and the, the style of the time, et cetera, et cetera. It requires study to understand these things. But most of these people are not scholars. They don't know any Greek. They don't know any Hebrew. They pretend to a knowledge that they don't have. But the problem is the ordinary man don't have it either. So what seemed to them to be profound and deep, um, they are being bamboozled because they themselves are biblically illiterate when it comes to biblical truth. And that's where we are today. Um, and that's why people are so easily deceived. So that is one of the verses that they use a blanket promise for um, prosperity and for health. So are you saying that God wants me to live a miserable life? No, I'm not saying that. I mean, everybody knows, uh, quite frankly, that God desires um, for us to have normal lives. But we cannot expect that because we are believers that we are... Uh, excluded from having any kind of physical ailment, any kind of sickness. As a matter of fact, we showed you last time that Paul talked about Timothy being sick, Trophimus being sick, Onesimus being sick. Paul himself was sick with, with the thorn in the flesh that uh, people believe it was an eye problem. But the, the thing we're saying here is that you cannot clue, uh, claim exclusive prosperity and exclusive health on that particular verse. And by the way, God can be sometimes more glorified in my sickness, in my poverty, than in my wealth. Uh, not everybody is going to be wealthy. Not everybody is going to be healthy. Uh, there are a lot of factors that play into this whole thing. But we're not to, uh, to assume that because I'm a Christian, therefore I should not be sick 
and I should not have any kind of uh, financial need. Uh, I think if that were true, generally, the kingdom of God would be people rushing into the kingdom. But we all know Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. He knows that. So it's not a blanket check that uh, we'll be poor, that we'll be rich, and that we wouldn't have uh, any kind of physical sickness. Any other abused passages? Yeah, the other one is Matthew 18, uh, 18 to 20. All right, Matthew 18, 18 to 20 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. In verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in their midst. Yeah, this is where they... Uh, pretty much again say that if you and another believer agree on anything, let's agree that we need a, a business or we need a ten million, a ten thousand dollars or something. Uh, they're saying that as long as you agree on it, you can make God do it because that's what it says. But again, if you look at the context, uh, Nathan, in the context of this passage, it is really dealing with the whole question of church discipline. No, I'm serious. If you read it, it's yeah. about church discipline. Yeah. And he is say, talking about the procedure. Uh, first of all, if somebody does something against you, you go to them individually. Then you narrow it. If they don't respond properly, you bring another person with you. Because the thing here is to deal with things privately as much as possible. You don't want to expose everything publicly. But then if, you, if and that doesn't happen, you bring it to the church. right? And what the church decides and what the church agrees in respect to what needs to be done uh, God sanctions that because the church uh, is given that authority to discipline people here on planet Earth. But they take a passage that is dealing with church discipline and now applies it to uh, riches and uh, I got cancer, so therefore I agree that my cancer should be cured. Again, it is taking passage out of context and applying it irrele- uh, irrelevantly to things that are not related. Uh, so there's no relevance between my wealth or my health in connection with this particular verse. This has to do with the matter of discipline. And by the way, the reason why uh, you must take another person, uh, again, because according to Deuteronomy 19.15, in the, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, it cannot be one person's word against another. It must at least one person. And then after you go two, certainly the church is more than two. They bring three, basically. So it's applying using the principle of the Old Testament in regards to the matter of establishing and verifying uh, and corroborating evidence that's why you do that. But this has nothing to do with uh, how to take this passage and abuse it. Let me give you another one. Uh, Proverbs 6 2. Proverbs six. chapter 6 and verse number 2 reads Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Yeah. This is the thing when you believe power of words. See, your power, the, the, your word can, can hurt you, can injure you. So you've got to be careful what you, how you use your word. That's why you don't use, you don't say negative things. Well, I'm not feeling well today. I've got a headache or, you know, I feel like I'm going to die. Don't ever say that because you might really drop dead. Uh, but that word, really, if you read uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2, read the verse before. Uh, verse 1 says, My son, if thou art, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, and then verse 2, 
Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. It is so ridiculous. It's talking about, you know, I, 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 a surety, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm taken as a guarantor. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you want to go and get something from the bank. I go and sign documents that I'm going to, if you can't pay, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay for you. That's what he's talking about. Be very watchful that you don't uh, put yourself where you're surety for other people. And then if you do that, it has consequence. It has nothing but to do with you speaking words, and therefore your words can, um, by saying something negative, it's going to happen to you, or saying something positive is going to happen. It's taking the word out of context. It's talking about the strength of your words. If you make a, a commitment, I promise that if he can't pay, I'm going to pay it back. Well, there are consequences of that. That's what it's talking about. But again, that's a distortion. Taking that and uh, t- telling you you shouldn't do negative confession, you shouldn't do positive confession because your words have power. That's basically how they use that particular text. There's another one. Um, so this one really has to do with the making unwise financial obligations to other people's commitments. When you, if they can't do it, you end up paying the debt. The other verse that they use a lot is Proverbs 18.21. And that says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Again, they say, see that? The words, your mouth, the power of death and the power of life. So if you can speak life, you can speak death. That's again a negative and a positive confession. But again, what the context is dealing with here is that really in truth and fact, your words, for example, a false witness mm-hmm. could actually bring death to a person by by, by making false statements. Um um, you can bully somebody with your words into committing suicide. So you've got to really watch your words. You can make a person feel bad or feel good, but that's not how they interpret that. They interpret that literally, that your words could create your reality. So because your words can kill and your words can give life, you can speak life to people, you can speak death to people. That's what how they interpret But it has nothing to do in the context how they're using it today. It's a complete abuse of context and uh, it's using scripture uh, almost like a talisman or using scripture um, in, in a way that's illegal and, and, and not a proper interpretation of use of scripture. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.20. We are glad that you have tuned into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Maybe this is your first time tuning in. The name of this program is That's Truth. It airs every Tuesday evening, and then it rebroadcasts on Saturday afternoons at 3.30 until 5 o'clock. We are glad that you have taken time out of your Tuesday evening to listen. And if you have a question, maybe it's something that you've wondered for years and years. Maybe it's something that someone just asked you today at work. But if you have a question and you don't know how to answer it, give us a call here. The phone number is one 462 7420 And we would be glad to answer your question using a biblical worldview, using God's Word and the principles in God's Word. Maybe you don't want to speak live on the radio. That's not a problem at all. You can send your question via WhatsApp or text message to the following phone number. WhatsApp or text us at one 782 1454 Thank you for those who have already participated in the program and sent in your comments or your questions. And thank you in advance for those of you who are starting to type out your questions right now or getting ready to dial the phone number to 
be put live on the air. One other way that you can communicate with us, you can go to Facebook Live. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then you can comment your question or your thought under the video feed, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, any other passages you want to draw to our attention? No, I think we, we, if um, none that comes to mind immediately, um, so I think we can move on to. All right. What speci- they like the word faith uh, in their word of faith movement. What specifically is wrong with the way they interpret faith as it is opposed to scripture? Biblical faith is faith in God. Okay. Uh, I think all of us are aware of that. And, uh, of course, there are, other, there are components to biblical faith. Uh, there's the element of knowledge. You, you, to, to have faith, you have to have knowledge of that. But you also have to give assent or agreement to that knowledge. And then the third element is trust. I can have uh, knowledge. I can agree that what you say is correct. But it's not the same thing as trust. Okay. Um, I think the I don't know if I used the illustration last time of the guy who was going across the uh, a building with a, a rope, tight rope, and um, he had done it several times. And uh, he asked persons, "Do you think I can do this?" He said, "Of course you can do it." He said, "Well, get on my back." Now they won't get on the back. You see, that's that, yeah. that's where the trust element comes in. Notice that they got knowledge. The guy did it before. They believe he can do it. What is missing is trust. Because when he says, no, get on my back, if you really believe that, that's the trust element. So that is where there are three dimensions to, to, to biblical faith. But what they have done, basically, is to make faith um, uh, a concept that has power in itself. It's not faith in God. It is faith in faith. And uh, let me explain what I mean. They believe that the words you speak are words of faith. So words are the vehicles that is almost like a, it just might sound strange, but words are the vehicle that carry faith. And those words go to God, and because faith is power, God has to respond to the faith. So it's not faith in God, it is faith in their faith. See, That's the difference between biblical faith, which is trust in God, and you actually believe that you have faith in yourself, that you can make God do something. You see the difference? So it's like a faith in being able to manipulate God. Exactly what it is. Let me just uh, quote some of the words of these men themselves. Take uh, Kenneth Copeland, for example. He said, Faith is a power, uh, a power force, a tangible force, a conductive power. Notice faith in itself. It's not about God. Uh, it's a faith that, that moves God. Uh, and then uh, Charles Cha- uh, Chap said, um, faith is the substance that God used to create the universe. And then um, there are others that I would, um, uh, here's another quote. It's the force of faith that makes the laws of the spirit world function. Listen to that again. It's the force of faith that makes the law. God's source of power is faith. Now, I'm quoting these men, by the way. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. God activates faith through his words. See? So this is, this is the, the difference between biblical faith and what we have today. This is like magic. This is like, uh, you know, basically sorcery is controlling reality by mind power and your words, some kind of formula. 
this is sorcery that has entered into the church, but is disguised using biblical terminology. And that's why people fall for it. But when they understand the difference between what they're teaching and what the Bible teaches, people should be alert that this should not be allowed in the church. Is my faith in God, not my faith in my faith, that uh, God has to respond to. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's always faith in God. So uh, that is why it's so important that when you're dealing with this faith movement, that you try to uh, clarify the difference between um, what the Bible teaches and uh, what these guys are currently uh, teaching as well. There's a number of doctrines that I'm curious about that they teach on, but... A number of the cults and a number of the religions that we've studied in previous episodes really manipulate the atonement. Can you explain what they believe about the atonement? Well, whenever you find a cultic movement in that direction or a heresy, um, you always have to look at how they view the person of Christ. And you always got to come down to the great historic doctrine of the, the atonement because central to our faith within the Christianity uh, historic Christianity is the understanding that the atonement is, is based on Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. Um, our salvation rests on what we personally believe about Christ's blood atonement when Christ died on the cross. And when you come to their teaching, you find that they teach some very weird doctrine along the same line. Um, for example, we teach that Christ's atonement uh, uh, um, happened where? At the cross. Right. Uh, Paul makes that very clear. I glory in the cross. They teach that the atonement took place in hell, not the cross. Uh, they teach that Christ was recreated on the cross and from a divine person into a demonic person on the cross, he took on a satanic nature. He took... Uh, you know the Bible says that he took our sins. Right. They said he became sin, literally became sin. So he had to go to hell where you'd be tormented by demons. So the cross is not where the atonement took place. It actually took place in hell after demons had dealt with him. Then he was born again down in hell and become reincarnated, become the son of God again. That's the teaching. I've never heard such deviant teaching all my life. Uh, I think the great uh, saints of the past, if they could know what's going on, must be turning in the grave to believe that uh, within the church today, you can have people teaching this kind of false dogma, but yet have such a large following. Um, so redemption was not secured at the cross, it was actually secured at hell itself. itself. Um, the other thing is this, uh, Christ paid his ransom not to God, but to the devil. We've always believed that Christ paid the ransom to God so that we can be free. But the ransom was not paid to God, it was actually paid to Satan. How does that make sense? Because we sinned against God the Father. Well, it doesn't make sense to you, Nathan. It doesn't make sense to me either. But again, when you've got a false doctrine and you're teaching it to your people, um, to me it's inexplicable how anybody can embrace this kind of teaching. But by the way, this is not new. Um... If you read the, about these, take the Seventh-day Adventists, the scapegoat, the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, actually is Jesus, God putting the sin on Satan, and he carries the sin out in the wilderness. Now we know that the Bible says sin was placed on who? On Christ. Yeah. So Christ is the scapegoat. But again, how can you explain that within the Seventh-day Adventist movement, 
uh, there's such a large movement that you can believe that the sins of the world was placed on the scapegoat, Satan, and he carries them into the wilderness. No, it's actually placed on Christ. But that's where you get with false doctrine. I have said, and I think you've mentioned it before uh, uh, as well, that there's no doubt there's a mastermind behind the apostasy that we are currently witnessing within the church itself. Uh, there's no other explanation for that. The other thing, Nathan, that they teach, by the way, is that, uh, I think I mentioned this before, Jesus was born again uh, in hell. So, I- I'm serious. This is the literal teaching. He was born again in hell. And uh, and then they, they go on to say that, uh, like him, uh, we who are born again become incarnated as well. And this we'll get deal with this about the idea of, of defying man. This is one of the most dangerous doctrines that are being brought into the church, that man is a little God. Uh, it's just that man doesn't know it, but it's being taught again and again. Let me quote uh, from a few of these writers. I brought two books with me. Uh, I want to quote from um, Hank Hanegraaff's book, The Christianity in Crisis, on page 155. Uh, I want to quote what um, some of these guys have said in this connection. I'm not going to give you the name of this person until I've finished reading the quote. Then I'll quote, uh, he said, Ladies and gentlemen, the serpent is a symbol of Satan. Jesus knew the only way he would stop Satan is by becoming one in nature with him. Okay? You say, what did you say? What blasphemy is this? No. You hear this? He did not take my sin. He became my sin. Okay? Sin is the nature of hell. Then he goes on and, and I could read it. He became one with the nature of Satan. So all those who had the nature of Satan can partake of the nature of God. Benny Hinn. Wow. That's Benny Hinn's statement. Let me give you another one on page 56. Um, He says, spiritual death means something more than separation from God. Spiritual death also means having Satan's nature. Jesus tasted death, spiritual death, so he took on Satan's nature. Now, if there's nothing more blasphemous than that, for example, if Christ took on Satan's nature, he could never be the sacrifice. Right. Because every Old Testament sacrifice, the sacrifice had to be perfect, pure, pure, spotless. But this is not the, the, the what's being presented. But again, um, let me quote uh, Hagen on page 156 in the same book. Um, he said, The righteousness of uh, God was made to be sin. He accepted the sin nature of Satan in his own spirit. And at the moment that he did so, he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You don't know what happened at the cross? Uh, why did you think Moses, uh, upon instruction of God, raised his serpent upon the pole instead of a lamb? That used to be that used to bug me. I said, Why in the world would you want to put a snake up there, the sign of Satan? Why didn't you put a lamb on the pole? And the Lord said, because it was a sign that Satan was hanging on the cross. <laughs> I mean, this is incredible stuff. It makes me cringe. <laughs> yeah. But this is, I mean, this is amazing what is going on in the church. But, I mean, there was a time when people walk out. You hear people making this kind of statements. People walk out of the church and say, this is crazy. Well, we're now living in the age of total deception and apostasy. And um, things are happening that are completely uh, mind-boggling. But uh, like the Bible says, that day will not come except to be a falling away. 
the apostasy is going to come and Bible talk doctrine of demons we have arrived at that stage where the church is being infiltrated with all kinds of demonic claims something that you said earlier talking about the what they believe about faith and that God created with faith so are they in essence saying that faith is more powerful than God they have made God a dependent being this is the point we're trying to make they have deified man almost elevated man to the level and they've brought God down to the level of man that's what is it's a complete reversal of what the Bible is teaching uh, and that's why now just like God is no longer sovereign God has to operate within certain laws you have to find out what those laws are it's called the laws of faith and the thing you've got to learn is that you can put faith into words and by uttering those words you now move the laws that make God act so God becomes your bellboy uh, because God is a faith preacher as well. See, it, it, it's demoting God and elevating man. It, it is most um, um, the greatest reversal I can think about. But that's where we are currently, and it's all falling in line with this concept of the human potential that we have within us limitless potential but we just have forgotten the potential we've got and every single movement today modern movement whether it be new age movement whether it be the sciences they're all moving in the same direction that man really is God but he doesn't know he's God Uh, but at the same time they're doing that they are demoting God and making God a dependent God now a number of times not just in this episode you've mentioned that secular thought is creeping into the church does their emphasis on the faith words, for example, the ability to shape reality, does that have a secular counterpart? Yeah, it's all part of the uh, the global New Age movement. And the other thing that I would like to say, Nathan, that the church has already become accustomed to a lot of these things that have already infiltrated the church. And what I, what I mean by that is, for example, um, psychotherapy has entered the church through the introduction of psychology in the theological seminaries. So uh, that is where in the counseling aspect of the, the, the pastoral ministry, uh, pastors are now actually depending more on psychotherapy, uh, talking about uh, Watson and talking about Freud. Now, Freud was an atheist. Freud is the one, by the way, that created the concept of, of, of um, unconsciousness, that we are ruled by our unconscious selves. Now, what people don't realize that when you do that, it means that man is no longer responsible. Psychology has done more damage to Christianity than any other uh, social movement. But that is already in. Um, visualization is another aspect um, where it is actually visualization, by the way, belongs to sorcery, where the, you're supposed to see something, and if you can visualize it, it, it can, and what you can visualize, you can actually materialize, basically. That, 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 that's, that's in the church now. So you will find that even in prayer, uh, I read a book some time ago on the disciplines of, of uh, Christianity, and I was amazed that the guy was introducing this concept of visualization and, and how to get my prayers answered. But that is part of the... the, the co- and then meditation is another thing that have entered into the church. Uh, and it's, whether it be through yoga, uh, whether it be... Um, to TM meditation, but that's in the church as well. But it's not meditation like biblical meditation, taking a biblical concept or an attribute of God or the works of God and reflecting about that. It is is actually finding the inner self uh, within you and the Congolini forces and all this kind of stuff. It's in the church already, and it doesn't go under, go under the guise of religion. That's where we be deceived. It goes on the idea that this is scientific. 
But all of this is Eastern thought as infiltrated using scientific terms. So we are completely disarmed because they don't say so religion. Uh, the other thing is uh, you've heard of biofeedback. Um, you've heard of the possibility thinking and positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale and also this guy, uh, Robert Schuller. Uh, all of these are not Christian ideas. These are things that are borrowed uh, from the New Age movement that was infiltrated in the church. I'll show you that very shortly. Then um, the idea of hypnosis has also entered the the counseling uh, realm of, of people who claim to be Christian counselors. They're now using that. That was a no-no before. So you're going to into regression to find out, go back into your wound and to find out what traumas you had. Christians have practiced all over in, in, in psychology. So these things have already, the, the, the church is being set up. And these things have already, but by using scientific terms and terminology, we have, we have pretty much allowed things into the church because we don't understand what, the force that you're going to have and the impact it's going to have in the long term. Uh, and then uh, you've heard of holistic medicine, which yeah. is very, very common. Again, this is part of the New Age movement as well. So it's a whole spectrum of these things that have begun to infiltrate the church. And uh, the other thing is what you call positive um, mental attitude. You've probably heard about that. And by the way, when you are into business and you do seminars, they've got people coming to train you how to visualize how to connect with your inner powers. Now, because it's done on the business level, uh, they don't understand the, the cult involvement. So you can be a manager, and the, the company is going to bring this guy down to teach this kind of stuff, and uh, you don't realize you're getting in, involved into the cult practice. And, and that is where um, the, the, it, it comes from the person in, in, the, um, in the business place who goes to church and... You begin to talk about against these kind of things, and they actually against you saying something negative because to them it's it's it's, it's, it's uh, something that has no contact at all with the occult. But these are the kind of things that I want to mention. And that happens here in the Caribbean. Oh yeah, uh, I think one person that I can think about right now in in, um, in Antigua told me that one time they did a um, they did a course in the bank, and uh, he told me quite frankly that. Um, they were showing him how to read people's mind. And, uh, and he said, listen, the thing really happened. It, it scared people to death, right? But it's something called telepathy. But a lot of these things, what they call uh, um, the human potential, bringing out the best of you, all of this is part of the whole conspiracy. And people are involved in these things at that level, maybe not within the church, but they come back into the church and uh, be, be, begin to teach it as well. I don't know if you ever heard a guy called Napoleon Hill. I can't say that. Yeah, but he wrote the book called The Law of Success, um, Think and Grow Rich. Uh, I'll, I'll show you how this was brought into the church, by the way. Hill, in that book, explained um, how that he learned to have mind power techniques. Um, that once you get these mind power techniques, um, he didn't get them by thinking uh, I, I'm going to quote what he said but he said that disembodied spirit entities spoke to him and gave him this information let me quote what he said he said now and again I have had evidence that unseen friends hover ab about me unknowable to the ordinary senses in my studies I am discovering there is a group of strange beings who maintain a school of wisdom now I'll tell you why this is important Nathan 
uh, one of these uh, masters had uh, come across a thousand miles through the night in my study. Uh, much of what I said in this book, I got from this master. Now, this book was a bestseller, right? Uh, but notice that he is talking about entities that gave him information. And one of the things that the, uh, they taught him was the principle that what a human mind can conceive, it can achieve. That's the basic fundamental principle that uh, he brought across uh, into this book. But it's how to make money, how to be successful using your mind. If you can conceive, you can make a million dollars, you can achieve it. That's what has entered the church through him. I'll show you how it came in. But he's the guy that started this whole movement, that your mind controls your wealth. Your mind controls reality. Uh, Hill wrote another book called Success Through Positive Mental Attitude. He wrote a book with a guy called... um, W. Uh, Clements, and uh, he said again that a spirit guide uh, led him into universal knowledge about this, this secret, how to become rich, etc., etc. Uh, he, his teaching was taken over by a guy called Ernest Holmes, who founded the Church of um, Religion and Science. Um, it's also called the Science of Mind. So, he brought those ideas from Hill into the church. Norman Vincent Peale credits this guy, uh, Hill, for giving him the concept of positive thinking. And Robert Schuller also got the what is called positivity thinking from the same guy. So they admit it. Yeah, they admit it. There's nothing. They, 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 in other words, what I'm saying, here's a guy that is talking about an ascended master, uh, uh, um, travelers from outer space, came and gave him this information. No, I'm serious. <laughs> Look, if this isn't fiction, it's songs like uh, fairy tales, but we live in a fairy tale world where truth no longer matters. But here it goes from a man that's not a Christian, is taken over by a Christian. He brings it into the church, and now today uh, it is spread all over, this whole positive confession. But that's how it got into the church, uh, and, and now it's become so common in these matters. Um, so it's a matter about controlling the mind, controlling reality, and um, that's how basically it became an infiltrate. So there's a connection between this Word of Faith movement and this secular arm that have brought in New Age teaching into the church is crept in gradually, and you've got these prominent uh, preachers, Vincent Peale, and you've got this guy, Robert Schuller. By the way, Robert Schuller at one time had one of the largest audiences in the world. He had the Crystal Cathedral, but all he was teaching was this positivity, this positivity. That's where he got it from. It was not original, but it's the New Age thinking that is now into the church, that's now infiltrated. I was watching a church service this last week, from a church in the States. And as they got to their prayer time, they were talking about, okay, take a deep breath, feel your inner thoughts, focus on your inner hurts, look within yourself. Is that an example of what you're talking about? Classic example. We're going to talk about, uh, if we get a chance, to talk what's going on in so many churches in England. You'd be surprised. Uh, uh, You could do Sufi yoga. You can do, I mean... It is crazy. It's like a cafeteria-style menu uh, where whatever you want, you can get. And it's meshing Christianity with Eastern um, mysticism, basically. It is the Eastern religion invading Christianity and gobbling it up. That is what is happening, and it's it's a great compromise. Uh, And that's why the emphasis 
on the deification of man is so common within church groups, uh, claiming that man is virtually a god. And I'll do several quotations from these guys that say they actually believe that. But again, it's Eastern thought uh, being uh, coming into the church and being brought into the church. Very good question that just came in on Facebook, Pastor. Is there a difference between visualization and goal setting? Yeah, there's a, a lot of difference. I mean, I can sit down and set my goals. I can, just, I can, I can look forward in the future and say, five years from now, I want this, whatever it is. That's not what they're talking about. Visualization is trying to see everything. In other words, you're actually, um, I'm, I'm actually seeing this, this, this million dollar house that I want. I'm actually seeing every dimension to it. I'm seeing the doors. I'm seeing the windows. I'm trying to create in my mind exactly what I want. But they also believe that when you when you can visualize, you can now actualize by actually using words to do that. So there is a difference between uh, uh, planning, and the Bible is for planning, by the way. Let a man sit down and count the cost. No man goes into war except he decides if his soldiers can meet the enemy or if he's going to build a house. He doesn't build a house without knowing if he's got the resources. So there is a planning that is there, the forward planning. You read the book of Proverbs. It warns about that, that the ant, thinks about the future so he stores up and he compares man to that so nothing wrong in forward planning but visualization is something else it's trying to create a reality in your mind that by your thinking and by your words you can actually create by a force of your mind that's something completely different by the sweat of your brow you can create the 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 job you want or your future but let's be talking something completely different thank you for that question from facebook uh, Pastor, we have Nathan from Nevis on the line. Go ahead, Nathan, and thank you for calling. Yes, good evening. Good evening, sir. Um, I'm calling about a scripture in Luke. Go right ahead. Chapter 6 and verse 24, where Jesus says, What to you that are rich, because you have received your consolation? What's your take on it? Uh, chapter 6 and verse 24. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, let me just say this. Um, there's nothing wrong with riches. Abraham no. was a rich person. David was a rich person. Solomon was a rich person. The problem is not riches. But um, uh, if you read, uh, the, the, that had to do with the Sermon on the Mount. I'd like to read a verse before Nathan 23 and then 25. Yeah, verse 23 says, Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in this, in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets, verse 24, But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation, verse 25. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto ye that laugh, now, for ye shall mourn and weep. And verse 26 closes out a passage. Yeah. Uh, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Clearly, when you look at the, the context, it's dealing with comparing those that seem to have all that they need, the abundance, they've got everything. and They, they don't seem to have any problems, don't have any trials, etc., etc. And our Lord is uh, basically saying to that, you know, you, you've got your good time, but the, you know... It's not all, all going to be there. The day is coming when it's going to be a reverse. It's just like the in Luke chapter 16, where you've got the rich man and, the, and Davies, and Davies is at his table eating the crumbs, and then there's a reverse in the life to come. And that's exactly what he's dealing with here. People who think that they're, they're, they're rich, the ones who are living a life of gaiety and laughter, uh, who seem to have all the good time, he wants to know that 
this is not going to last. There's going to be a complete reversal of that. But he's not here trying to condemn that. You know, if you're rich, it means of necessity that you're going to be damned. He's not teaching that. But those who put their trust in riches, those who put their, their make, make living and enjoying life and, and having gaiety and levity, that's what life is about, living for the moment. Uh, he wants to know that the day is coming when they're going to mourn. So it has to do with perspective. Okay. Thank you very much for your call, Nathan. We appreciate it. Appreciate you listening from Nevis. And keep encouraging others to listen and keep calling in with your questions. God bless you and have a good evening. Have a good evening. Thank Thanks. you. Uh, Pastor, anything else that you want to mention in relation to how the secular ideas have come into the church in the last eight minutes of the program? Yeah. Uh, I would like also to mention, um, along with this um, thing, they've probably heard of, I'm not too sure if people have heard of him, but there is a French priest uh, who is also a paleontologist. Uh, his name is um, uh, my, uh, Pierre uh, Tillard de Jardin. That, that's his name. He is the guy really in, in truth that had, done a tremendous, uh, had a tremendous impact on bringing the wage thought uh, into the, the Christian church uh, as well. Um, he is described by Bruce Larson, uh, who is a Presbyterian, as one of the pivotal thinkers of our time. But yet, the, the shocking thing about that is when you read about what he really believed, uh, and by the way, Larson embraces a lot of what, what this guy teaches as well, I want to quote what he really believes. Um, this is a quotation. Uh, his theology uh, believed that the, the, the soul emerges as a driving force of evolution, leading to an awakening of, of, of collective uh, superconsciousness that will bring about the New Age movement. Now, this is, this is a priest, a, a Catholic priest that the Catholic Church um, abominated, um, pretty much uh, defrocked him, um, called him to be an apostate of Vatican, barred him from teaching, and also barred his publications, etc. But yet, this is the same man that uh, has this idea that the world is going to change by a higher consciousness. He has something called um, uh, something called the Nosphere. The Nosphere is where, as people begin to think uh, ideas it, it creates a uh, a kind of a a, like a reality no it, it, it's as, as people begin to think more complex uh what it it does uh there's a spirit mind that envelops the universe now i'm sure this is this is this is new age thought but because you begin to think more higher conscious and more higher conscious uh there this higher consciousness begin to envelop the world as this higher conscious begin to envelop the world the world begins to change uh, so that's what he believed. This guy, Larson, now, who is a Presbyterian, he is now saying that this is the, one of the greatest Christian thinkers that he know of. Uh, and Larson, of course, has written a book on cults. He's written 12 uh, different um, best-selling books that are used within the church. But he is now advocating the same doctrine of this guy. So you've got, uh, you've got Hill, you've got uh, Tillard de Jardin, and now you've got Bruce uh, bringing this kind of teaching within the church itself. I want to read what um, 
another guy said about this guy, De Jardin. He said, uh, Tillard argued for the coming of a deeply moral super uh, humanity, uh, ennobled by what is called the universal spirit of the cosmic Christ. Now, I'm using these terms that, that, that they use here. Uh, he believed in a human consciousness growing even more complex and interdependent, in, independent, and that this will feed what is called the new sphere. And then he talks about another layer that is called the theosphere. We don't want to get into a new age movement, but basically this is this is this is sorcery. This is really believing that the, the human mind has power, and if we could think differently, we create some kind of a in, uh, envelope of of mind that goes around the world that will change the world. This is the kind of thing that has been being brought. In other words, in order that it's given great power to the human mind, and this is part of the confusion that has now begun to enter the church. We'll be talking about the deity of man, that man is actually God. And if we have enough time, Nathan, uh, maybe not now, I will quote several preachers today that is making it very clear that there's not a God in us. We've got to realize that we are God ourselves. This is in the church. And that's contrary to Scripture. Of course, of course. Man will never be God. You remember that uh, Sassoni said they would believe the lie? Mm-hmm. What's the lie? The lie that was, that was given in the Garden of Eden that you will become like God. That's the lie that caused Eve to fall, and that's the lie that is actually deceiving the world t- t- today. But it is it's being introduced by the New Age movement, is now into the church, and within the faith movement, a lot of these guys are claiming that uh, we are gods. Pastor, here's a comment or an observation from a listener in Montserrat. It says, as a Christian, I have observed that the Bible study has been dwindling in the congregation of the saints, which is one of the fundamental pillars of the believer's life. So lots of young Christians are not taught to be independent in studying God's word, to show themselves approved, wherein faith is not the wedge that helped the believer to experience the benefits of the faith such as substance, evidence of things not seen. So if the word is not taught to be heard, then faith will not blossom in a believer to enjoy the benefits of its fruits, whether studying one's own or otherwise. Pastor, what are your thoughts on that observation? No, I think this is correct. I don't think that, uh, I quite frankly, you know, one of the things I think needs to be done within the church, I was hoping that we would have been able to do it, but I'm not sure we can do it. I would like to do a survey of the the churches in Antigua and maybe the Caribbean and some very basic questions. Uh, Do you read your Bible? How many times a week do you read your Bible? You don't think that's too basic of a question? No, no, that's not too basic. You'll be shocked. You'll be totally Mm -hmm. shocked. You'll be totally, totally shocked if the people are honest. Do you pray? How often do you pray? Those are the kind of of basic kind of questions we want to know. Um, uh, Do you go to church? How many times do you go to church? Right? do you tithe? Get the basic things to find out because the only way you really understand the state of the church is to get some honest replies so you can really address these kind of issues. Um, you talk about the family altar, talk about uh, um, you know, all the basic fundamental questions. I like to also do one in connection with the schools to really find out what's the kind of moral life within the schools to really have an idea of what we're up against. But uh, coming back to the question there, um, look, when I was a boy coming up, and I know I'm a different generation right now, we used to compete, Nathan, in memorizing not just one verse, chapters of the Bible. 
we had a group of young men that we were zealous, really, really zealous, and we always wanted to outdo each other. So we would memorize chapter after chapter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, church and was not a social club. We were wanted to read books. We, I brought up one little D handbooks, daily bread D handbooks, et cetera, et cetera. These were the things that we 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 ate them up. Uh, we just feasted on them, and we would uh, try to try to see who had the, the most Bible knowledge. And then uh, there was almost, a, I won't say a competition, that was not good, but even in preaching, we always want to do the best job when we're preaching, et cetera, et cetera. This is a different generation. It doesn't find excitement in Bible study. It doesn't find excitement in, in, in uh, memorizing Scripture. It doesn't find excitement in, in, in doing kind of Christian things. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of discipleship. The church has not done an effective job in discipling people. We've done a job in winning people to Christ, but where they go from there and get them uh, honed into the skills of the what is called the, the disciplines of the faith, we have not done an effective job like that. And because we've not done that, um, they don't know how to do a Bible study. They can't even do a word study. Uh, they have no idea of how to deal with this kind of... And by the way, remember, if you start doing this thing, it's going to take six weeks. Six weeks to do. So you have to teach them one week. You've got to follow up that to make sure to do it the following week and then for six weeks before it becomes a habit. But we haven't trained people in those habits. And because of that, the lack of Bible knowledge is atrocious. Pastor, in the last 30 seconds, we've been talking a lot about what the Bible doesn't say or doctrines that are against the Bible. What does the Bible say about my personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says that you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I should be saved. And there has to be an ongoing relationship with Him. And that comes through prayer, that comes through reading the Word of God, and of course that involves sharing your faith. But the important thing is to get to know Christ, and that you can only get to know Him uh, through trusting Him and going into the Bible and beefing up your prayer life. I think that's the key to it. In five seconds, is there any works that I have to do to get right with God? There's nothing you need to do other than uh, confess your sins, repent of your sins, and put your faith and trust in Christ. No need for works. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.